You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16. This morning we're wrapping up with our chapter, or with our series in 1 Corinthians, and I want to talk to you about what it means to serve God and to be a part of God's kingdom expansion. We want as God's people, we want to be used of Him. We want Him to use us in, for His redemption, and His, what He's doing in the world around us. What God cares most in this world, to be honest with you, is not about our economy being great. It's not about uh, world peace and hope. I mean, those things are important. I am not at all knocking any of that. But what God cares most is that people would know Him in a saving relationship with Him because, guys, ultimately, at the end of the day, our only hope in this world is to have a relationship with God and spend eternity forever with Him. And out of that, He wants us to live in this way that blesses and touches other people's hearts. So we're going to talk this morning about how God wants to use us and how God works in expanding His kingdom. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we will start reading this morning in verse 5. Read with me, if you will. Paul says this, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia... For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Pray with me, would you guys? Father, we're grateful to be here this morning, and uh, thank you for holding off the freezing rain and for it not being worse and keeping us all holed up in our homes this morning. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, for blessing us. And Father, we pray that you would make us a blessing to those around us, not just this morning, but this week. Father, we commit this time to you and ask that you would just simply speak to our hearts through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we wrap up 1 Corinthians, I have so enjoyed this, this book and this. Uh, we were looking today, we've been in here five months. Hopefully you're not saying, I know, Sean, enough. When are we going to move past 1 Corinthians? But there's so many important things that we've talked about and looked at, and I'm looking forward doing, to doing kind of a little mini-series, a four-week series on, on Jesus. We're calling it Behold the King. But uh, as Paul is kind of wrapping up and he's writing this letter to the, the, the church, the Christian believers there in Corinth, he's, he's talking about his travel plans and what he's going to do. And I want you to notice that as we read these verses, that there's three things that we see that God uses to expand his kingdom in this world. God's kingdom where God becomes king in people's lives, where people surrender their life to Jesus as Lord, and they experience His grace, His love, His power personally in their life. That's where God expands His kingdom. So the first thing I want you to notice is that God expands His kingdom through a, an open door of opportunity. Paul says, guys, I'm hoping I'm doing some traveling. I'm hoping to come see you. I, I want to go through Macedonia, which today would, for us would be Greece. He says, but I don't want to just kind of blow by you. In verse 7, he says, I hope to spend some time with you if, big if, the Lord permits, but I'm going to stay in Ephesus. 
because a wide door of effective work has opened to me. Paul spent over two years in Ephesus in that church, helping him to get started, helping to get it planted, to get it off the ground. And he tells us that a, a wide door, an incredible opportunity that God is supernaturally working in this city for, for uh, that, that God expects me to pursue and to follow through with it. As we read back in the book of Acts, what was going on in Ephesus, there were so many people that were trusting Christ that the people there who were involved in like sorcery or witchcraft or kind of had their incantations and their rituals. To be honest with you, they were playing with demons is what they were doing. There were so many that they brought all of their books with all of their incantations and all of their spells. And the Bible says that it was they burned enough books for it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, an exorbitant amount amount of money in that time, just a, an amazing amount that people publicly burned that, renounced that. The Bible tells us that in all of Asia, which for them, that would be essentially be Turkey, Asia Minor, everyone heard the gospel. We know in church history that at, at one point in time, almost all of Turkey were followers of Christ. It just, God did an amazing work of seeing so many people trust Christ. Today in Turkey, it's a whole different story. It's 99% plus Muslim, uh, Islam. But in this time, and from the years just following this, there was, God was up to something absolutely astounding and amazing. I want us to realize that God works through opportunities in our lives, each of our lives. It's one thing for you and me to look back and read some history about amazing people who might have lived before us, or maybe to even look around and see some what in our minds would be an amazing person or God doing an amazing thing in this place or that place. But I want us to realize is that God expands His kingdom. God wants to work in each of our lives, and He does it through opportunities all around us. I'm not a Paul and Apostle kind of guy. I couldn't have done what Paul did. I mean, in Ephesus, there was a riot. We talk, we'll talk in a minute about the obstacles, the adversaries he talks about. But the things that Paul went through, being shipwrecked and beaten, and it just, it, it was astounding. But God had designed him. God had forged in him a passionate and a resolve and a resilience to be able to endure incredible hardship to capitalize on those opportunities, but you and I each have different opportunities in our life. So God wants to use those, wants to use us, and He designed us for them if we have eyes to see them. A few years ago, I, was, uh, I had flown on a trip when I, uh, for my other part of the ministry that I do, working with churches in this region with Hudson uh, Baptist Association. I had traveled out of town. I don't remember where I was, but uh, I was gone for several days, and I traveled quite a bit more back then. And I remember I got in, I, I flew back in, and I got back uh, home, and everybody was in bed, which is earlier than not in my house, as many of you probably know. But it was still kind of late. It was probably like midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. I kind of got in, I slid into bed, and just kind of laid down, realizing that I literally, about three or four hours from them, was going to have to get up again, and I was going to have to catch another flight to another place, and then I was coming back in from that so that I could catch a train to go down to New York City and spend like two or three days there doing training. So it was just back to back, and I thought, how in the world did I end up? Who is my travel agent? Like, there's got to, oh, wait a minute, I did this to myself. This was all my fault. So after like two or three trips in a row, think of that, 
my training that I did in New York City when I was, I was doing some training and uh, I got on the uh, Amtrak on the train there uh, in Penn Station, got into my seat and uh, a young woman, I usually, I must have timed it at rush hour or something because usually uh, there's not a lot of people on the train when I'm coming back home. And a young woman sat down next to me and the train was packed and I was absolutely exhausted and spent. You know the kind where you just kind of melt in the seat and you just want to ignore, no, you just don't want to do anything with anybody. And I thought, oh great, <laughs> you know. And uh, my MO is I, whenever I'm traveling, I always try to at least have a 10 second conversation with somebody because I want them to know that I'm not a weirdo or some, you know, ax murder. You know, it's going to kill them if they nod off or anything weird. And so the conductor came through and asked us where we were going. And uh, she said where she was headed. And I said, I just, oh, is that where you're from? You headed home? And she said, no, I actually used to live there, but I'm an NYU student living somewhere else. And she gave me a long answer, which said, oh, wow, she's willing to talk. Oh, nuts, I really wanted to sleep. <laughs> and then it was so easy at that point. When somebody tells you they're a college student, the next thing you ask is, what's your major, right? So what's your major? And it was art history and I think sociology and psychology. There were like three things. And she was explaining the NYU way and all of that. And I thought, wow. Um, and then the question hit my head and I said, wow, you must bump into religion an awful lot in your major, art history and all this stuff that, and she said, I sure do, I think an awful lot about that. And she pulls out a book on the occult that she was reading, not because she was thinking about joining or anything, but flips through the pictures and I'm like, yeah, that's the real deal there. And she just wanted to know. And we then spent the next hour and a half talking and chatting. And I asked her all kinds of questions about what she believed and what happened. And her backstory was that she had been brought up in church. I won't mention the names. I'm not bashing any denominations, but it was one that we would all recognize and say, yeah, that's pretty much fits. But her parents went to it. Her dad was very faithful to it. Lots of rules, not a lot of relationship kind of stuff. And she got to college, NYU, her freshman year, and didn't see any value or meaning to it. There was nothing impactful in her life. And so she decided that God was not a personal God. She believed that God is, is out there, but you really can't know God if, in a way. And like, you know, if there, there's just not possible to know Him. And then she proceeded to tell me how that so destabilized her psychologically that she had to spend her whole next year, skipped her sophomore year, took a gap year in essence, and stayed home so she could see a therapist because it messed her mind up so much. Well, if you go from just thinking that there is no God in this universe who actually can give purpose and meaning and direction and hope and kind of this North Star in your life, it will destabilize you. And in my mind, I thought, that's crazy. You go, you're going to a therapist to think, figure out think spiritual things? I'm like, that makes no sense. I mean, that's, that, would be, that would be like me going to a botanist because my stomach hurts, you know? I mean, that's crazy. Why would you do that? But it was so interesting, and I asked her lots of worldview kinds of things. Well, what do you understand to be evil or bad or wrong? And I was probing where she was. And what was amazing was, is in the process, she said, so what about you? What do you believe? And it was so natural for me to be able to share what I believe, that there is a God in heaven, 
and that I'm a sinner, and I gave her an apologetic of how he's changed my life and how because of it, because I know as a young woman in NYU and schools and just how it's made me a much better husband and how much I value and respect and all of this. And you know, when she got off, it was her turn to get off the train, and she got off before me. I said, I really enjoyed this conversation. She looked at me and she said, I really have to. And I said, you know, I believe God, this was not a conversation by accident. I believe that God really wants to know you personally. Now, keep in mind, she had just decided the year before that God wasn't personally knowable. You know what she said? I hope you're right. This was the first day she was coming back to school after missing an entire year being convinced that God wasn't real. I share that story to say this. Opportunities are all around us to expand God's kingdom. You and I have to have two things. Our eyes have to be open to see them. And two, we've got to be willing to be inconvenienced and tired and uncomfortable and go above and beyond and engage them. But opportunities are around us. So God uses those in each of our lives to put people in our pathway, to put those moments of time, to put those opportunities of service, to put those connections, whether it's a one-time thing on a train. My goal on that, in those situations, I just want to, much like I shared a minute ago, is I just want to help people take their next step. And I think God did that. She, it's not an accident that she meets before she heads back to school in the fall, that very trip, somebody who says, no, God really is real, and He can change your life. So I want you and I to realize that God is not finished in our lives. Some of you guys are a little bit older in your life, and you begin asking those questions, well, what purpose do I have? What is God using me for? What, what am I doing? I want you to realize and to recognize that God has little things and big things around you. He wants you to simply living your life and, in, and investing them in a way that impacts people for all of eternity. So God expands them uh, that way. The ones that rob us of those opportunities are very simple. I want you to notice what Paul says. Look back through this verse. Put it on the screen if you would. But he says, I, I, I plan to visit after going through Macedonia. I'm, perhaps I'm going to stay with you, spend some time in the winter. I, I don't want to just see you in passing, he says in verse 7. This is Corinth he's writing to. I hope to spend time with you, but, in verse 8, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide, do effective door was opened to me. I want you to notice that Paul is prioritizing where he sees the opportunity happening. How often you and I invest our lives without thinking in time wasters and, and things that don't impact, aren't nearly as meaningful, and have very little lasting value. It's so easy for us to do. You know, think back to your childhood, things that you spent time doing that in the moment certainly were good, and certainly I would think any educator would say, well, those meant, you know, they built character and taught you all kinds of things, and it's very true. But think about things that were meaningful to us. Maybe uh, something that you owned. I, I can barely remember. I have this vague recollection of owning a pair of cowboy boots when I was probably like four or five years old. I don't remember a lot from that time period. And I remember those were important. And my mom, you know, later on, oh yeah, you love those things. You wore them every day and, you know, and just all, all of that. 
is that really important to me now? No, not really. Think about when you and I enter into eternity, and after we have been there for a million years, do you think about a lot of the stuff that we value and take as important today going to be that important to us then? I mean, that was less than 50 years ago, and those things really don't matter to me. I don't miss them. I don't care about them. I have no desire to go out and bear up, buy a pair of cowboy boots. If you do, that's great. You, I, I don't. Totally not meaningful to me at all. I want us to realize that we ought to be careful with our time, with the things that we think are so valuable and so important, things that we allow the culture around us or the seasons to put on us that are so critical and we ought to look with a keen eye to say, God, you're opening a door, an opportunity in front of me. I don't want us to miss this. God, help us not to miss that. But in the middle of opportunity, there's always adversaries. And Paul says, there are many adversaries. There was literally a riot that happened in Ephesus. There were so many people trusting Christ. There was a famous temple there, famous uh, uh, Artemis that the people worshipped uh, the, the god Artemis there, and it, it involves some awful kinds of things. We've talked enough about that in the past of what they were doing. And there were so many people that were trusting Christ in that whole area that the, the, the local uh, idol guild, the silver craftsmen, the craftsmen that were making these little statues of Artemis so you could go pay your money, buy your own little idol, put it in your home and worship in your home, uh, they got together, a guy by the name of Demetrius pulled basically the local union, all the, the union guys who were there together in this little creating these, these idols and all of the metal workers and the fashioners, they all got together and they created a stir. They said, look, this guy's telling everybody that our God isn't a God. This is terrible. They're killing our business. In fact, they're going to ruin this whole thing and tell us that the temple is no use and the whole city comes in an uproar. And there was literally a riot, a demonstration that was happening. And finally, the leader of the town got them quelled down because in Rome, if there was a riot, they just would send in the troops and you would all die. Like It doesn't matter if you were guilty or innocent. I mean, just, you were in big trouble. And finally, they said, look, there's a court system. If you got a problem with these guys, take them to court. So I say all that to say this, you and I should realize that there are obstacles in our life. We have an enemy who does not want us to be used of God, who doesn't want people around us to be saved, doesn't want ministry to be easy. Think about in terms whether it's football or basketball, anybody trying to score points is going to meet some serious opposition. Anybody saying, God, I'm available. What do you want to do with me? God, our church is available. What do you want to do with us? You be ready to be hit in the face with opposition. But we don't stop at that. We move forward and we move through that. So we capitalize on opportunities. Second thing I want you to recognize, not only does God expand His kingdom through opportunities, but He expands it through people of faith. Look what Paul goes on and he says. He says in verse, in verse 12 and 13. Well, let me look at verse 13. He says this. He says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Be watchful. Paul, as he's writing to this church, he says, Look, guys, let me sum up everything that I've been talking to you. Be alert. Be awake. Don't be in a drunken stupor. Don't be foggy. Don't be sleepy. Good morning, Gary. Don't be 
confused, be, be alert. We're told elsewhere to be alert because we have an adversary, the devil, who roams about like a roaring lion, looking, actively pursuing the person, the church, the family that he can devour. And we're told that we're to be a people of faith, on the alert and watchful. Watchful for opportunities of ministry, but watchful for the, the attacks, watchful for the pitfalls, watchful for the temptations, watchful for all of those kinds of things. I'll tell you an opportunity that I had prayed for that may or may not play out. Uh, many of you know, uh, last, this past fall, early in the school year, we had, uh, I think, three UAlbany basketball players that had come to church a couple of times. One of them came regularly, Antonio, part of our church, we would say, He's not able to be here almost every Sunday because the coach requires him to be at practice on Sunday morning. Can you guess what time <laughs> their practice always is? But uh, I'm staying in contact with him as well as others as well. And we went to the basketball game last week and the week before last, I can't remember. Sitting there watching the team, I just said, God, would you allow our church to have an impact on this team? God, would you allow us to, do, to be involved, to be able to be a part of something bigger that we would never be able to be a part of, more than just you know, influencing Antonio as a freshman and his family. And uh, this past week, we discovered through uh, his mom, uh, through one of our students, that apparently you know, they play all Christmas break and all of that, and they're here on campus almost the entire time, except for a little window around Christmas. The dorms are closed. Food's not easy. They don't have people around. And mom was saying, there's nobody taking care of my kid. Would you guys do something? Um, wouldn't it be awesome if God could use our church to be able to be a blessing to that team and to those individuals with the gospel? I would love for us to do that and for God to open doors for us to minister. Will that play out? I have no idea. But I'm looking for those opportunities with a watchful eye. But we also need with a watchful eye to be aware that the enemy says, oh yeah, I so don't want that to happen. We're going to try to slam that shut. So be watchful. Be a people of faith. Stand firm in the faith. Not just be people who have faith. Look, I'm going to read the book, uh, the verse in Jude. Don't turn into it unless you want to. It's Jude verse 3, the very next to last book of the Bible. But it's not going to be on your screen. I want you to listen to what Jude wrote in his third verse. He said this, he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He didn't say, I want you to have faith. He said, contend, fight, if you will, for the faith that was once for all delivered. What Paul is saying is, guys, all this stuff that I've been talking to you about, stand firm in this faith. Don't waver from whether or not the resurrection happened or not. Don't waver from whether or not the way you're supposed to live. Don't waver in your love for other people. Stand firm in what you believe. Don't be pushed beyond that. We love th new things, right? We love at Christmas time, new stuff and presents and all of that. But there's one thing that we should never take that is new. The Bible says the once for all that has been delivered faith the old faith is what we're supposed to hold on to, not a new faith, not a revamped, not a reimagined faith, not a retooled faith, not a brand new kind of teaching, if you will. You should be a little concerned, a little red flag should go up, at least a question when something new 
begins coming to your ears that you've not heard before. And especially if you've been in a church for a while that has opened the Bible and shares with you just right out of God's Word, because we, we don't create new things. We're supposed to go to something that is old for what we believe. And Paul says, stand firm in that faith. Don't move from that. Don't waver. Don't allow any lies. Don't allow any misthinking coming into you. But stand firm in that and act like men. In other words, be of courage. Be someone, a soldier who is going into battle that stands up and is willing to to risk, have courage. Sean, I didn't know that God was sexist. Why doesn't He say to be like women? I want us to realize, I'm, I'm legitimately, some of you are like, oh, that's funny, Sean. Others of you are like, you already caught it. Like, whoa, God tells us to be like men? What's the deal here? I want to hit the little pause button. Can I tell you that God is not sexist and the Bible is not sexist? In God's mind, there is no controversy between men and women. There is no lesser or greater gender. There is nothing wrong with the genders as He has made them and made us this way. Um, women are empowered. They don't need more empowerment, if you will. I'm not saying that we should not treat women equally. We absolutely should. But what I'm saying to you is be careful that we don't take a modern controversy out of weirdness in our culture that is so messed up and we project it back onto God. All he's telling us here is, is have courage. And by the way, he's telling us, you ladies too, to have courage. We men should have courage and you ladies should have courage. He's telling all of us to stand firm and to be courageous in what we believe and be strong in that and strong in the way we live. We live in a culture. We live in a world that's at odds with God. It will forever be that way. Forever. It will only increase. Susan and I, will, we don't watch a lot of TV in our home. We will usually, you know, maybe watch a show or something, you know, mo many nights, maybe even most nights during the week. And um, it gets a little old when there is a values clash, a culture clash, a beliefs clash that's right in our face as they're showing real life. That gets old after a while. It feels like the world's pressing in, and it's just like, okay, entertainment's supposed to be entertaining, and right now it's not entertaining when they're throwing, you know, whatever in my face. We're told to be strong in that when you go to work, but it's one thing to stand strong when you're sitting there and it's just the two of you or just you watching a show, but it's a whole other thing when you're at work and all the peer pressure that goes on there to act a certain way, to believe a certain way, to value things that you know are dishonoring to God or that you should not be doing at all, to, to treat or disrespect your spouse or to talk about this or talk about that. And God says, be strong. Don't waver. Be firm in what you believe. Be where you are. Be courageous. Act like my kids. And let everything that you do be done in love. How does God want to expand His kingdom in this world around us? It's not just through opportunities, but it's through people who are of faith, holding to those truths, living out those truths, pursuing those opportunities. And He tells us that everything that we, should, that we do should be done in love. Not a soft love, but a, a real genuine love. So if you've got to confront somebody, let the motivation of you confronting them be love. 
Don't let the confrontation be whether or not it's convenience to you or how hacked off you are or how mad you are or how inconvenient it made you or how big a problem is. Do it because it's the right thing to do for them. Let everything in your heart, your motivation be love toward God and love toward those other individuals. If you've got to deal with stuff, deal with it, but let love be at the center. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that we read 1 Corinthians 13. This was a church that had forgotten how to love how to love one another in those genuine relationships. And, and Paul says, look, you want to be a person of faith? You want to be somebody that really at the core is just who we are as a Christian? Hold to the truths that the Bible says are true. Be strong. Live your life that way and let love be the motivating factor for everything that you should do. That's what churches and Christians, that's what we should be known as. Now in the process, your love will cause you to say and do things that maybe are not always received well. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about being that kind of Christian. We've all seen and run into those, right? Because love is not rude. Love is kind. Love doesn't seek its own. It's patient. It's easily entreated. It endures. But love holds to truth and deals with that truth. And he says, let love be the motivation. So I want to challenge you and I as we wrap up 1 Corinthians is that we should pursue those opportunities in front of us, but we should live in this world as the Christians that God has called us and be people of love. Third thing I want us to recognize, not only does God use people of faith, but He uses faithful people. If, if we took time to read all of these verses, you would see several other individuals that Paul writes and talks about. He mentions Timothy in here. He mentions a man by the name of Apollos. We know quite a bit about Timothy. I mean, there were two letters we have that Paul wrote to Timothy, kind of his young protege in the Lord. And Apollos was a young man in, in Christ who was uh, strong and sharing truth with people. And then we read about some other people. Um, if you read in verse 15, the Bible says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Notice that, devoted themselves to the, servants, to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. Paul, when he talks about these faithful people, I want you and I to recognize this morning that God tends not to use the famous. He tends not to use the well-known. He tends not to use the, the popular. Oh, there are some of those out there in, in the Christian realm. But Paul, God tends to use the unknown. He tends to, to use common, average, ordinary people People who are faithful. And here's a man uh, in a household, Stephanus and his family, that were the first believers, and they devoted, we would almost say addicted themselves to just simply serving the Christian followers of Christ. They were faithful people. God came and changed their life through the gospel, through the Lord Jesus, and it didn't just save them and bring grace and forgiveness into their life, and, but it, it changed what their priorities were, and they dedicated themselves to, to the good and the benefit and the blessing of other followers 
of Jesus Christ. We read in this passage, he, he rejoices in verse 17 at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Caicus because he says, they made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Recognize them. They deserve it. You know, Paul says, you guys weren't here to be able to take care of me and minister to me and help me, but these guys did well. They came and they refreshed my soul. I was thirsty and tired and hungry, and they came and supported me and lifted me up, and they helped me. I want you and I to realize this morning that when you and I serve one another, and when we do even little things to bless other followers of Christ, that those are huge things in God's eyes. Those are the, the unsung heroes of Scripture. That God works and expands His kingdom, and He blesses people, not just through the, the big things, but He does it through the little things. And Paul says, thank you. They refreshed me. They helped me. I love the, the verse here in verse 19 that talks about Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife. And it says that, he says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. And Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Here's a couple that we know some about in Scripture. And they open their home regularly to host the church that was meeting in their house. How many people were there? We don't know. Not a thousand, right? I got a pretty big house, but I'm probably not going to fit more than, wow, on a good day, I don't have a room that I could put more than 20 people in at most. But they gathered together to worship God, discipled one another, grew together, ministered, shared the gospel. And we get the picture of, of people leveraging their, all that they had to the expansion and the use of God's kingdom. You see, the greatest asset that any church ever has is not its buildings or properties. It's definitely not a parking lot, even one that looks nice and has been resealed recently, right? And has some nice new shiny signs and you know, nice concrete curbing. Big enough that, did you notice nobody has driven across our lawn in that area since we put the curbs up? It's amazing what that good curbing will do. Amazing how that gets people's attention. People all of a sudden become good drivers when you put a barrier up like that. You know, a building is not a church's greatest asset. To be honest with you, it's not its programs. It's not even its, it's, 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 its people. It's us, right? This is the this is the greatest asset. You see, if persecution ever arises in the U.S. to the point where churches get shut down, and it could, the church of Jesus will continue to go because we're the church and we're the, the faithful people that continue. In Cuba, when communism shut down the churches, churches went from meeting in buildings publicly to meeting secretly in homes. And you know what happened in that time period? There were more Christians after that fact than there were before. They multiplied. It was amazing. In China, guess what happened? Same thing. When the Cultural Revolution, Mao Zedong came in, 
shut down most of the churches, took control of the churches, and those that were allowed to stay open just right under the thumb of the Communist Party, Christianity spread like wildfire. You see, God works through faithful people, people who are not famous, not well-known, not just anything other than ordinary Christians saying, God, I love you. I'm available. Would you use me? Have you heard the acronym um, FAT? I know it spells fat, but it's faithful, available, and teachable. We're all supposed to be, as Christians, faithful to the Lord, make ourselves available to Him, and teachable. And those are the qualifications that God uses for us. If I could add one more, I would say obedient. I would put an O in there, but I can't make a nice acronym in there. It'd be like FOAT, you like GOAT, but with an F or something. I don't know how that works. I'll let you uh, scrabble people figure out how to get a good word out of F-O-A-T. But anyway, that's how God wants to work in our world. Sean, why are we focusing so much on this? Well, one, Scripture does. But two, you know, I think we live in an age and a world to where if we're not careful as Christians, we think there's just no hope for all of that that's out there. It's easy to fall into that. Some of you don't feel that way. Some of you are excited and see God using you. Others of us struggle because we get down and think, well, there's just God's not doing anything in the, that much around us. And it's almost like when something happens, you're like, wow, what do you know? God really does work. And then other of us, of us get discouraged. And I want us to realize that God is at work powerfully and profoundly, opening doors of opportunities. He expects us to be people of strong faith, living out our lives, and to people, be people who are faithful. And where those three ingredients mix, God's kingdom expands. God does amazing work in people's lives, both in growing them in Christ, but expanding His kingdom and seeing new people and new communities and new ministries and new opportunities to know Him. So I want to challenge you this morning. First thing I want to challenge you with is are you trying to live your life in a way that you're looking for opportunities? Well, let's be honest. I don't, every minute of every day, I'm not looking. Sometimes I'm fixing a plumbing issue in my house. Sometimes I'm wondering, is it going to be icy outside? What I need to do? I'm not 24-7, right? I can't, I truly cannot think of three or four things at a time. I just can't. But are we, are we living our life in a way that we're so distracted, so preoccupied, our priorities are so focused away from what God is doing that God can't use us in expanding His kingdom. If we are, that's a problem. If you, as you've lived your life, it's like, well, Sean, I don't know if I've seen any of those opportunities around me. That's okay. Every day is not filled with something incredible. But I would challenge one response to this message this morning to be, God, I'm open for you to use me in an opportunity this week, next week. God, would you open a door of opportunity for me? God, would you give me eyes to see? 
Would you help me in that moment to wake up, to be alert? Would you help me to see that in conversation, whether it's at the office at work, whether it's at the person in the checkout line, whether it's a tattoo that you see on somebody? There's so many people with crosses, tattoos, say, hey, that's a cool tattoo. What's that cross mean to you? You can do that while they're beeping you out at Price Chopper. It's okay. You won't get arrested. Nobody's going to be upset. I've never yet had anybody get mad at me that way. And you know what you'll find in the process? Most of those people don't know Christ. But if there's a cross on them, I mean, can you say that's like a red sign, like, hey, talk to me about something spiritual. But look for opportunities around you to let God use you and just to do little things. Maybe it's inviting somebody to our Christmas Eve Eve service. You guys know that, right? Don't come December 24, come December 23rd, all right? I will not be here. Nobody will be, should be here on December 24th, all right? Uh, but invite them to that Eve Eve service. It's an opportunity. For others of you, maybe you've struggled to be that strong. Maybe you've struggled to say, well, I'm a, I'm a little nervous, I'm afraid. Say, God, would you help me? God, I want to be that person of faith that you talked about. Spouses, maybe you should pray that for your spouse. When my wife saw this verse on my, my screen this week, she's like, oh, that's one of my regular prayers for you. Can I tell you, I like knowing my wife prays that these things are reality in my life. I'll tell you another secret. You guys really like it that she prays because it's amazing that God changes me and makes me better for all of us together. Don't miss what praying truly will do for somebody else in your life, but maybe you need to step forward and say, God, would you help me to be that person? And maybe you've been willing to say, you know what? I have just underestimated what my little things that God wants to do in my life. Maybe you need to be that faithful person and just say, stick your hand up and say, God, I'm willing. I don't know what I got, but I'm willing to be used of you. But I want to challenge you. That's the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. That's the kind of Christian that God wants all of us to be. That's the kind of church that God wants us to be. Nothing necessarily flashy or showy, nothing wrong with that, but just faithful people of faith who are seeing the opportunities that God is doing around us. And when we do that, God changes people's lives, guys, and it's worth all of eternity. Because otherwise, you and I will put so much stock on the stuff that we have here on all of these things, and we're going to be in eternity 10 million years, and we will have regret. I don't know how that's all going to work, because the Bible says there's no tears in heaven, but there is loss. There is, there is a loss. And when I get to heaven, I want to enjoy the faithfulness of a life well spent for all of eternity. And so, challenging us to invest in eternity this morning, live our lives, enjoy the blessings that God gives us, but in the process, allow God to use those you in those opportunities to impact eternity. Pray with me as our team. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.